welcome to Play on K, the Korean drama podcast with Emily and Raquel. And this is the show where we take a K-drama, we watch it two episodes at a time, and then we get together here every week to talk about it. Yeah, this week we watched episodes, uh, it's been, t- I don't actually know. Checked my notes. It's 11 and 12. Nice. Yeah, we watched episodes 11 and 12. Technically, I watched them last week. I don't, I will only remember information as I am prompted to, I think, is <laughs> the main takeaway. Unfortunately, it's been it's been a busy week. I messed up our recording schedule. That's my bad. Uh, but I have lots of notes, and I watched them yesterday. Nice. I should have done, like, a rewatch or, like, a 10-second skip through to just remember some content, but I'm, I'm running on whatever Emily tells me happened. <laughs> I've got two rambles planned. I called them a rant in our little pre-show, and hopefully that did not make our Patreons turn off the episode, because it's not a rant this time. It's a good thing. Yeah. Two things that I think this show is doing superbly well, exceptionally well. They're doing a masterclass in two things. The first is what I referenced in our pre-show ramble, which is... The name of the show, Alchemy of Souls, the act of Alchemy of Souls, I think is representative of the R word, which if we want to get into that, we'll put a trigger warning in the notes for when we start and stop. But that is that is how it feels to me after especially watching the scene between the master mage dragging his student into that spooky chamber and being like, we're doing the alchemy of souls, your body is mine, felt very like, oh, this show is very subtly writing about the experience of rape and how horrifying that is. That is wild. That's so interesting because, yeah, it's like the non-consensual entitlement to someone else's person. And that is so wild. It's wild, right? And I think, I don't think it would have occurred to me except that I saw this writing tip this weekend that talked about how this incredible trope in horror is using the female experience, which I know that sexual assault is not limited to the female experience. It's something that can happen to anyone. But this particular writing tip was talking about how using something like that can help other audiences who may not often think about that, think about it and empathize with it and understand how horrifying something like a sexual assault can be. And that using this different form of media to show it happening, especially in this show between two males... And how horrifying that experience was for one of them. It, it's, it felt really powerful. Like, I, oh, my stomach hurt watching it. I wanted to skip through it. it was, and I hope that everyone else felt that way. Yeah, it was easily among the most difficult scenes that we've watched in, like, this show, obviously, but across many, many K-drama shows. Like, we, I'm, I think that's a big thing, is that it's not that it never happens, but it, it does feel more rare in the K-drama media space to present such difficult scenes where, like, obviously, you know, it's one thing to 
I don't know, have a murder or something in a K-drama. But even then, I feel like it's pretty rare to show it happening, right? Or to show, like, someone being killed. Usually, if death even happens in a K-drama, it's the result of a battle or something, where it's not, like, that's tough, but it's also its own thing because it's two people fighting versus someone who is helplessly watching something be taken from them, a life or whatever, their body. It was a very hard scene to watch. It was heartbreaking. It was very well played by the actors, especially the actor whose body got snatched. That was, yeah, I was so sad for him. And I was so sad then, again, like played by the actors phenomenally, to have the flip happen, like the the switch, and then having the the old man running through the streets trying to find somewhere, someone to tell about it. And at first it looks like maybe he's getting away, and then you see a conversation between two people where it's like, this is part of the plan, is to have him noisily die. And uh, it was tough. It was tough from beginning to end, but it was so, it was well done. And now I'm even more sad about it with that, like, lens, you know, of, but what a, what a, an impactful way to, to display that. That is very, very interesting. Right? Like, I don't want to claim that I know what the writers were trying to do because I did not do research to see if that's what they've said the show is about and that's what they are trying to convey or show. But it is the impression I got. It felt like a pretty one-to-one comparison of like somebody's body non-consensually being taken from them. And you're like, "Mm, whether you meant to do it or not, that is fantastic representation of an experience that is not often talked about. It is swept under the rug. It the the victims are often treated as they displayed in the show as just being silenced. And it's so cool to just see that in a a different format. Almost feels like they snuck it in. They snuck it in so that everybody would have to deal with this horrifying hard truth of our world in a way that feels the same, feels just as wrong, but can be aired on TV. Yeah. Oh, I do hope that there was some level of that, or at the very least, some level of acknowledgement when they were writing it of some kind of similarity there of, you know, the how awful it is to non-consensually lose, uh, not even lose, but like, have some kind of non-consensual act performed against a person like that. That's... They did a very good job. They did a very they good job. They did a very good job. It was I so like sad. <laughs> they, I had lost hope at the beginning of the show with Dohua's storyline, but I think maybe it's all been building up to something bigger, something that's like, yes, women are often used as victims in horror stories to get away with or represent how horrible things are. They are pawns that are thrown away as part of this grander story. And this this might be calling that out. This might be like, yeah, do you see how much that sucked? Yeah. Right at the top of the show. And uh, how this whole spell in and of itself is the worst thing that can happen to a human. That's why all of this is bad. 
We're having a bad time together. <laughs> no one's okay. No one's okay. No one's okay. This is why no one likes when this happens. This is why we hunt them when we know that there's someone switching souls around. So how are we going to deal with Mudok? I don't know. We'll, we'll circle back on that. But um, the rest of it, real good. Yes. Super, super good. And honestly, I think they have presented something also very interesting. Because we always knew that not Mudok. Um, Booyan? No. Um, well, yes, but also specifically Naksu. For some reason, the there was another character name that was only coming into my brain. But it's not even a K-drama character. It's a book character that starts with the letter oh, no. N. And it was like all I could think. Um, <laughs> Naksu is very morally gray or rather misled and due to that she feels justified and she's very uh means justify the end kind of person and so we always knew that we even acknowledged first episode it's not great that she stole a blind girl's body and no one's acknowledging that like she's not acknowledging it Jung-uk is not acknowledging it. No one's talking about how much that sucks. But I think that it's interesting also presenting that the person whose body she stole both was and was not powerless because we've learned so much more at the point we're at now of who who Buyan is and that she was powerful but she she might not have known it in that moment but now we do because it seems to not have killed her so maybe she'll come back but what does that mean for Naksu there's a lot of questions that have now been presented it's very complicated it's very complicated because like you said is there a way to still make this okay is there a way to make me feel about okay feel okay about Naksu again? I don't think so. I feel like I have to say no just on principle. But yeah, they've presented, at least with Jong-uk, the soul ejector thing did not work on him. So why did it work on an even more powerful mage, Buyan, who seemed to be the one who stopped it from happening to Jong-uk? But she maybe couldn't stop it for herself, but maybe she could. It's this weird gray area where you're like... Maybe there was consent. Maybe Buyan yeah. said, okay, you can have my body. And honestly, because she was not the person that Naksu dragged into the back room, if we look back to episode one. Yeah. So maybe there was some level of consent there. But yeah, again. But is it just sacrifice? Yeah. Ugh. We don't know. We don't know. Was she just willing to die a martyr in order to save the servant? Ah, I don't. It's so complicated. <laughs> I don't want to know. It's so complicated. It's fine. We've got another season to deal with all of this. Yeah. Um. I do want to say, so I have had only, pretty much only positive feelings towards you, Yule, but never overwhelmingly where I was like, he's my favorite character, right? I've never been like- yeah. Seoyul is my absolute favorite character. There was, like, a moment when he was, like, the only person fighting, even though freaking Park Jin was there. <laughs> when he was, like, the only one trying to, like, handle shit. But 
I don't know if it was the fight, because we all know that I'm a sucker for a well-choreographed fight scene. That is, yes. that is my shit. I love it. I don't They're know if it so was a good. choreography, if it was that he was handling so many people on his own, and he was, like, the go-between for fighting, you know, someone who was running wild and someone who was trying to kill someone who was running wild. And it was, like, super, wi- like, crazy. I shouldn't say wild. Um, it was crazy <laughs> and complicated. Uh, but the fight scene was very well choreographed. I did have a moment where I was, like, I simply don't understand why anyone is romantically interested in anyone except Seo Yul, because I guess it's such a thing for me, like a well-choreographed fight scene is such a thing for me. <laughs> and he was just so powerful, and it was so well done, that I, and I was very, very stoked. I was just like, he's the fucking coolest. I don't know why- He's got double swords? Why? He's got double swords, and he is- wielding magic like it's nothing and he is t- he's the only person fighting this fight even though Park Jin is here and we didn't think to involve anyone else it was just Park a little Park Jin Seo Yul field trip and <laughs> yeah that felt like lack of foresight because I I think Park Jin and Jin Mu are very much the they cannot get involved because that will start a war yeah. But everyone else had to do the fighting and they really they Jinmu brought an army and so you'll only brought the other guy. Yeah, the one the other guy. man. Who is who ran off real fast. Yeah, a one he's a one man army at this point. He's really cool also. Yeah. So anyway, obviously I I don't know how I feel about him romantically in the long run, but there was a solid ten minutes where I was completely in love with him. So I see that. I see that. It's my heart is complicated because <laughs> they present too many ships yeah. all of the time, constantly. And then if you constantly. think, if you think, all right, that's all the ships that can fit in this ocean. They say ocean's pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, do I want a romance for Soyul? Yeah, so that I can pretend to be on the other side of it. The, whoever the other person is, it's me. <laughs> I'm romancing Soyul, but also, do I think he's just a good friend, a good guy? Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I want him to stay that way. I want him to just be this somewhat neutral but very conflicted good boy who doesn't really know how to react to knowing so much about the woman he was apparently in love with as a young man. Oh, it's so good. It's such good writing. I want them to be together. Maybe yeah. just the crown prince and Jungkook can be together, and then So Yul and <gasps> Mudok can be together. The scene that they wrote <laughs> with those pieces of jade could not have been more. It was. It was peak. It was absolute peak for me. I Perfection. lost my shit. I lost my shit because it was so classically like we all knew where it was headed but they obviously didn't but they sold it so well that i was like maybe i don't know where this is headed maybe i don't yeah and then they got to that bridge you know where it's headed yeah and i like i was right but i couldn't have been more happy about the fact that the whole conversation that they had where they obviously weren't stoked about how it all played out but they weren't they weren't afraid to admit that their hearts were pounding (laughs) (laughs) And I think that classically, I think a lesser writer would have taken the opportunity to 
make two men thinking they're in love with each other the butt of the joke. The right. whole joke. Yes. And these these writers, no, no, no. That's not the joke. The joke is that these two guys hate each other. They hate, they do not get along. They, they do not get along. Are repulsed by each other as people. Has nothing okay. to do with, it probably has a small amount to do with gender. But over, the overarching real part of this joke is that they they think the other person is, they both think the other person is shit and it was so wonderful to watch them make eye contact on that bridge <laughs> it's such a good scene oh it's so funny the writing in this show just but also the writing in this show like how do we have the crown prince and jungkook have the cutest scene but also have donggu park donggu and jin choyoung mm. Maybe getting married. And for what? Why? I don't like it at all. It's mm-hmm. it's textbook romance, so I should like it. I should be fully on board, but I hate it with everything within me. Yeah, I'm not interested. I just... It's not even that I hate it, because it's, it's almost just that I, I just don't care. I just don't care at all. But I don't like it, because I really like Park Dongu, and I do not like... Um, Jin Choyoung. I obviously we've talked about it. It's just that I also, like you said, it's textbook romance. But I don't even feel that much chemistry between them. I guess it just hasn't really been sold to me in a way that I am personally feeling. And maybe it's my own feelings toward Jin Choyoung that are are somewhat informing how I feel. But I I do think there's some level that like there isn't much there because there are other romances that I feel similarly like Park Jin and uh Maidservant Kim that I I don't like him I similarly hate him and then I actually have like much much more strong feelings about the romance one way or another for them which is to say I've gotten to the point where I fully don't like it I've <laughs> I didn't always hate it <laughs> Oh, no. But now I do. I I used to kind of ship them, and now I still feel like they're end game for each other. But now it just makes me sad because there's a love triangle there too that I think the other side of that love triangle is significantly healthier, and I don't like. It. I don't like that I'm being I'm being given a romance that's bound to fail that I like, and then another romance that is going to succeed that I don't like. It's, yeah, it really sucks to see Master Lee setting the bar for what romance looks like and having Maidservant Kim be like, I'll just tell Park Jin to do all that stuff. It's, I get it if she's like, I'm just not interested in Master Lee romantically, but it feels like she could be. She's just so used to thinking of Park Jin as that guy and just trying to get him to be that guy that she's sticking with him. Yeah. And I'm like, don't. Just raise the bar. Just go. Don't keep raising the bar for Park Jin and telling him to go over it. Just go with the guy who already knows how to romance. Yeah. Okay? Who's who's not just setting the bar, but like, I don't know. Yeah, he's already going over it. He's already saying, I'm showing up for you in these ways. And then there's a guy that you're like, if only he showed up for me in these ways. And it's like, 
but he's not. And there's someone who is. And it's okay if you're not, you're not required. It's not like a, he puts good guy coins in and sex falls yeah. out. Like, that's not a thing. But <laughs> also, yeah, it doesn't feel like she's disinterested having found out recently that he does seem to be romantically pursuing her. It's that, yeah, she. it's like she's just turning around and, like, informant feeding the information back to Park Jin. And exactly like you said, it's just a bummer. It's just, that whole love triangle is just such a bummer to me. And I think part of it is also that I still want so much from it because I really like that it's between older people yeah. and that Maid Servant Kim is so cool as her own character. As yeah. her own person, I like her more and more every episode. Yes, I like her a lot, a lot. So give her more. Give her a better romance storyline. Yeah, give her a better romance storyline. Never let her get hurt. That was a big thing also for me when I was watching Seo Yul fight, though, is that I realized, and sorry, this does tie back to Maid Kim, but um, I realized for the very, very first time, I was like, oh, he doesn't have main character armor. It did feel like he did before, but all of a sudden, he's in this fight that he's alone in, and they have to keep it on the down, down low. And we just found out that his his magic probably got at least somewhat drained temporarily by having to feed a bunch of it into the corpse to make it run wild. And... Yeah, it's just like, I don't know, I got really stressed for him, and then I similarly got very stressed for Maidservant Kim when she all of a sudden made her presence and importance known to Jinmu, and all of a sudden it got real real that uh, she doesn't have main character armor. That's so fair. I got so scared. Oh no. (laughs) And I feel like it was really hard watching the conversation between Jinmu Park Jin and Maid Servant Kim because it felt like she was saying the things that I would say. And then Jinmu, in the next scene, plays it out from his perspective and is like, the things that she was saying were really mean, were really, or at least brought up a lot of really bad memories for me. Where from her perspective, you're like, I nice, bring up the cookies, all the good times you guys had together. All the times where you guys were living together, having fun. Then he's not going to kill you, right? Like, he's the bad guy, but he likes you at least. And then the very next scene, he's like, actually, she kind of stepped on me and brought up all these terrible memories of when I had to beg for things and crawl around on the ground of their house and you're like oh was it that bad i guess that makes sense because john gong seems like the worst guy so i'm not surprised that he did not give you nice things but please don't make that maid servant kim's fault please please and then he he was like for sure i will though on some level she i remembered that i who she is, and I remember that I d- all the reasons that I don't like her whole household. So yeah, like I vaguely remember her, but mostly I remember my bad time in that house, and she was part of that. So I don't like her. And you're like, no, Jinmu, but she's great. She's Maid Kim is great. She's sending you cookies, and then yeah, she immediately went to she. So she is the best. 
She's a great person. She, <laughs> no one has made her privy to the terrible things that are going on at Chun Bugwan, but uh, maybe they should have. Maybe they should have. <laughs> so she didn't just send a servant to go get murdered from, you know, yeah. like, obviously she doesn't know who Mujak it really is, but. If she knew some level of how dangerous that place is, maybe she wouldn't be like, hey, can you go take some honey biscuits to the most dangerous place in our little world? I didn't think about it until this moment. Is it appropriate for maidservant Kim to give tasks to a servant of Songrim? Definitely not. I think she's just kind of homies at this point with Mudok, so... Okay. Like, on some level, they have a rapport, at the very least, where she was like, hey. Hey, on you- your off day, will you go do this? Yeah. Are you busy now? You look like you're cleaning something, but, like, mm, want to go see uh, a spooky guy about some biscuits, or? Yes. Okay, here's your biscuits. Like, are you allowed to give her tasks? I don't think she works for you. Not anymore. Also, she's, she's literally at her new job, so. <laughs> like, show up to... So, like, your sibling's job at freaking uh-huh. the local Pizza Hut and be like, hey, I know you're at Pizza Hut right now, but listen, mom needs you to go do this chore right now. Right now. And they're just like, okay. <laughs> well, mom needs it. What? Mom said yes, so. <laughs> what? Oh. Okay. And one more semi-important thing, which... I think the show is doing really good at showing how important a mentor is to your life, which is maybe just way more personal to me as someone who is lost in adulthood and is like, wow, it'd be really cool to have a mentor who's just like, I'm really invested in you doing good in life. And um, I need that. I want that. And I love that for Jong-uk. Not jealous at all that he has that and that his mentor is really, really good at manipulating everyone around him into making him better. Not jealous at all. I think that's really cool. (sighs) (laughs) Why is life hard? Why is life hard? I relate to everything you said so much, but I have been desperate for a mentor since like my late maybe even earlier than that, but very clearly in my late teens when I was so attached (laughs) to my high school English teacher, who's also my, she was my debate team advisor. And also I still consider her like a really good person and friend. And I just wanted her to be my life mentor more than anything. And then like she was for a minute. And then obviously like I grew out of that particular phase of life, and I felt like I was drowned. I maybe I still am. Maybe I still am just drowning without a mentor. <laughs> I am absolutely yes. Why? I so I. Thought... I... Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. I was about to cut you off. You go. <laughs> I thought going back to school for a master's degree would help me find a new mentor, and it. I met a lot of cool people who are great connections. But none of them were a mentor. Why did I pay so much money for a degree if I'm not getting a mentor out of it, you guys? Where's my mentor? Where's my mentor? I need someone to hold my hand and tell me what to do with my life. Okay? Why does Jungkook have that and I don't have that? (laughs) Must be nice. 
Must be nice. I actually find that liking my manager at work has at least on some level really fulfilled like at least some amount of mentor need in my life, which is to say that I don't turn to, I don't want to consider my job my real life. It's just my job life where I have to go to live. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, that said, I like my manager and therefore it is kind of nice to be like, at least tell me what to do here at work and I will. (laughs) And then I'll feel like I have some modicum of control in my life. Anyway, that was just a little sidebar. That's fair, though. Yeah. You can find little mini mentors all throughout your life. You just have to ask them, what am I supposed to be doing? Put them on the spot. And that's the part that I'm not good at. Just tell me what I should do, and I'll do it. I just don't know. Can you just please tell me where I should live and what I should do for a job and how I should how many kids I should have and where I should raise them? Because these are questions that plague me, okay? (laughs) I don't know how to answer them. I don't know either. Mentors are critical. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what Alchemy of Souls has taught me. I think, like, obviously they've done a lot of mentor stuff throughout this show that conveys that message, but I think I just keep getting so impressed at how clever Mudok is in doing these things that makes Jungkook train. Not necessarily even through his laziness or whatever, but in ways that significantly move his progress forward. Yes. Where I thought the sword fighting thing, the competition that he was having, was just to get him out of his like jealous boy laziness phase. His latest, I'm not going to do anything phase. Which happens every other episode, and that's fine. That's who he is. But it's cool that it was much more clever than that. It wasn't like, I'm just going to get him out of bed and make him start sword fighting. It The prince had to explain it to me, how significant fighting all of these great mages would be for him. And he's like, I've never had that opportunity. That's actually really impressive. I should... I should be doing that. (laughs) So not only did I give this to my enemy, but I'm giving away a bunch of gold to train him. To train him! It's so clever! I need Mudok to be my mentor, but also I am physically weak, so we're gonna need to figure something else out. But that's the thing, is she would find some way to trick you into doing things until you physically were no longer weak. She would just really push you as a- she Mudok does try to tell Jungkook what to do, and then he says, "I'm not gonna do that." And she said, "Well, we tried it the easy way, so." <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I'm gonna bet our special little love eggs on it. Okay, <laughs> good for her. Good for her. That is very clever. I I feel like the last thing we should talk about, unless you have another final thing, is mm. the romance between Mudong and Jang Um yeah, I don't I feel like there's a really the only thing that I feel is like worth mentioning, but it's weird because I don't have anything to say about it. It just feels weird to not say anything about how the how episode twelve ended with them in a in a real pickle. Oh. Uh, but I thought that was part of the romance. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about their romance. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I know. 
Still not sold? It did play out a little bit how we thought it was going to when we talked about it the last time we recorded, where she tries to shut it down, and then he kind of says, no, I won't let you, but then he gets a new perspective, a new and incorrect perspective on it. There's so much back and forth there, and I don't know. Yeah, I just don't know where I'm at with it, because it's like, I like their dynamic, but I've always liked it in maybe a non-romantic way, equally to how I like it in a romantic way, which is to say, if they ended up buds, I still maintain, I'd be fine with that. I still don't know if I'm like, they must be together, because maybe they're just really solid homies, you know, and that would be cool. That's fair. I did think their very last hug together was pretty romantic, that was but good. I get it. If if they do the same thing as the last two episodes, where they're like, yeah, it seems romantic, but just wait till they finish hugging, and then they start not talking again, they get very jealous and petty, they get into a fight, and they don't really interact for two more episodes. Until there's another somewhat romantic moment to cliffhang on. Like, I, what? What are they do? What are they doing? Because it was romantic, but I wanted the cliffhanger at the end of episode ten, where he says, "This is your confession. I say yes. We are together now." I wanted that to mean something, and it felt like the way it played out at the beginning of episode eleven made the whole scene really vague, Mm -hmm. and then they spend the next two episodes just unraveling all of it, where both of them are starting to have feelings and starting to acknowledge them, but each of them reflects on the scene they had together and is like, oh, wait, there's another person who's interested in this person? Maybe I misread that whole thing, that whole conversation, how awkward. Yeah. And they ruin it. Yeah. Why? And then they just hug again at the end, and you're like, are you trying for romance? Because I'm not having a good time. I want them to either be starting to get together, stop with all the miscommunication, stop betraying each other, just start to have feelings for each other and let it happen, even if it's a slow burn. Or don't. Yeah. I think that's also another reason I don't love, like, I love their mentor-mentee relationship. I also like them very, very much as friends. But where it starts to get me with the romance thing is that I want the mentor-mentee relationship to come first, and it does, but it's kind of at the expense of them playing games with each other, right? Because she knows the way to motivate him is to kind of hurt him a little bit, like push him off a cliff in her her description of it, which is to say like it's kind of emotional warfare to bet those those precious that precious jade egg that he gave to her and she's like, "Well, it is the most precious thing I have." Like she tries to be a little bit romantic about it when she lays that information out, but at the same time, it's like what if what if someone was like Here's my wedding ring, the symbol of my relationship, and I'm going to wager it to see how much, like, I, cause I want, cause my, you know, my husband, the love of my life just is not, <laughs> is not putting, putting in the effort, and I just really need him to, so we're gonna put not this on the putting in line. the effort for the business that we own together. Yeah, yeah. Not like even I, not putting in the effort romantically. He's not doing his homework, so. <laughs> like, we are definitely in love, and that is fine. That is separate from this, 
But the wedding ring is not separate from that. Yeah. It is representative of our love, but I'm going to wager it to make him work harder. It's like, what? It's like, yeah, if you put it in that perspective, it's wild. And so that's why I struggle with, it's not even necessarily a power imbalance between, you know, teacher-student or mentee-mentor relationships, even though it is. It's like, we could argue, like we, you know, we have in the past discussed, like, I was like, "Eh, power imbalance. You were like, yeah, but like, technically, he's the noble here. So it's like, he has his own power in a way, but it's not power imbalance. It's that, like, it's like, there's multi like the relationships are there's multiple aspects to every relationship and if you have like a mentor mentee relationship layered on top of a romantic relationship it's like at some point you're going to have to prioritize one of those and in this sense it it absolutely should be the mentor mentee relationship but that's not romantic like it's not going to sell us on like you know them being in love <laughs> that's fair i don't think I had thought of it that way, but that is a really good point that she showed her hand and said, right now our priority is the mentor-mentee relationship. I'm I'm here to teach you. We'll work on our romance later. That's on the back burner. So the big hug at the end of episode 12 feels like it maybe falls into more of that category or at least doesn't quite cross the bridge into full romance. Yeah. But what I did love about it was it was a moment of support. So so I almost liked it not necessarily as a romantic gesture, but like a, just like a really beautiful human gesture where she was having a crisis. Like she is certain that she shouldn't be touched, that this is it for her. She's about to run wild. So she's about to die in the worst possible way where her choices are catching up to her and she's going to need to essentially be put down like a monster. And he's he's decided, no, it's good. We're good. We're good. Let I'll hold you. I'll prove it to you. And so that, it, it's romantic, but I think more than that, it's just like a beautiful, it's a beautiful human moment. Like, I think I would love that between non-romantic partners if they were like, Again, like friends or mentor mentee or just like a human experience of like, this is fine. Everything's fine. We're both scared. I'll hold you. Yeah. Like it was romantic, but maybe not in the romantic, romantic way, if that makes sense. Yeah. You described it beautifully. It was beautiful. It was intimate and lovely. It was intimate. Ah, especially because we had the scene with Jungkook talking to Soyeol about Mudok and about soul shifters and them sharing their perspectives on these people turning into monsters, which I loved for all three of them. I liked that scene a lot. And uh, then he then he acts it out. He's like, actions speak louder than words. I truly believe that she is worth saving, or at least worth trying to save until the very last moment. Oh, that's very sweet, Jungkook. Jungkook has not always been my favorite, but every once in a while he does something like that, and I'm like, he's a good boy, I do love him. Yeah, for all of his really annoying tendencies to give up pretty easily and go hide away, which, like, maybe I just get annoyed by for self-reflective reasons. Maybe I'm like, (laughs) "Uh uh-oh, is that what I do? I do sometimes. that. <laughs> not the best. Not the best way to face challenges. 
I wish he would stop doing that. <laughs> but at the end of the day, he is the, like, anarchist who is like, this system has never been good to me, so I will not be good to this system. Yeah, I'm not here to uphold the rules for you people. <laughs> oh, so good. He's like, all of your rules are broken and wrong, and I'm the only one who can see that because they've been used against me my entire life. Yeah. We love it. We love it. We love a Rise rebel. Up. We love a rebel. <laughs> Good job, Jungkook. Oh, this story is fantastic. It's so good. I'm excited to watch more after a week, a week long break. You're not. You're not going to watch more. We've got two weeks off, oh, baby, and I can't watch it. If I watch it now, then I'll be in the same situation as as last week, where I watched it and then I I showed up here and I didn't know what I was talking about. Yeah. Shit. Nope. I gotta wait until we're recording again. Go watch business proposal. Yeah, I'm going to go watch Business Proposal. Hasn't made it through the votes the last couple times, so I'm going to just check it out, see if... I mean, maybe I'll get two episodes in and I'll be like, there's no way we're not watching this for the podcast, and then I'll stop. But I might just watch all of Business Proposal. I've been... Here's a thing that I kind of want to do on the podcast, because I was telling Emily about this pre-show pre ramble, so there's no record of this conversation, so I'll put it here now. I have been really, really craving like a a very longing like pining relationship drama recently in a in like a very specific like angsty kind of way right like i want one person to be in the wrong kind of but but not the like super wrong i just want there to be like some level of pining like unrequited feeling even if it isn't unrequited um I don't know of any K- I I don't feel like we've seen many K-dramas that have that aspect. That's not usually a romance um a romance uh trope, I guess, that they play with very often. I don't know if that falls into the trope definition. Either way, if that does exist, I've been really craving it. It's why I've been going so hard on the Manta comics lately. <laughs> so if anyone hears this and is like Raquel has a short break, in the podcast recording, maybe I'll toss her a recommendation. Then we have a couple places that you can reach out to us. Uh, the first is playonkpodcast at gmail.com. And you can even say, this is like greeting line. This is our rec for Raquel. <laughs> she requested <laughs> I'm delivering and you'd be my hero. You'd be my absolute hero. I'll keep an eye out just in case someone does decide to swoop in and save me with that. So yeah, the email is one good place to find us with that. Yeah, you can also send us a DM on Instagram at PlayOnKPodcast, on Twitter at PlayOnK, or on TikTok at PlayOnK underscore Emily. And I'm usually in charge of all those, but if you tell me it's for Raquel, I'll forward it to her. <laughs> or I'll just tell her to check it because she has access to all the accounts. Yeah, I just don't We check just her. don't look for her mental health. Yeah. <laughs> Social media is bad for my brain. <laughs> it's bad for everyone's brain. Yeah. Um, it's, like, a place to re reach out, so I'll, like, toss it on there. Um, the first two places are a little bit more direct to us, but we you can comment on our episodes and stuff on our website. You can find links to our affiliates. You can sign up for newsletters. There's just, like, some cool stuff on playonk.com. Yeah! You can also... Join our Patreon to get access to our super long episodes that include our pre-show ramble, as well as notes on all of the episodes of K-dramas that we watch, 
That's all at patreon.com slash play on K. Yeah. And then, oh yeah, just like the free, the freest way to help out our podcast is just spreading it around word of mouth. If you give us a rating, ideally a good rating, do what's in your heart. But like what actually helps us is a good rating, like a five star rating on Apple or wherever you listen to us. Uh, it helps other K-drama podcast listeners find us. Yeah. Thank you as always for listening. We're going to take a two-week break as I move back to the States, but we will see you in just a couple more weeks with our next two episodes of Alchemy of Souls. Yeah, okay, bye. Okay, bye. Bye-bye.